Greetings in the name of our dear Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Ash Wednesday, the beginning of Lent. Remember what the word Lent means? The lengthening of our days. The daylight is longer. That's where they got that term. But it, it means for Christians who go to worship on a Wednesday night when they don't the rest of the year, except maybe Advent, it means that we lengthen our meditation on the Christ and the Christ on the cross, the passion of Christ. It means that we pay attention more. We meditate and think about all of that and what it means. And it, it helps us. Uh, one, of the, one of the psalms in a list of psalms that people that collate the Bible call the penitential psalms is Psalm 51. If you were to open it up in your Bible, in the pew there, you'd see a heading at the top that says, A Psalm of David, when Nathan the prophet came to talk to him after he had sinned by committing adultery with Bathsheba. That is the title in the ancient Hebrew text. Um, it is a penitential psalm written by a man who was guilty, you remember the story, right, of adultery and then having her husband, he was the king, David, having her husband put to death at the hand of the Amalekites by a rouge to, as if they were attacking the city, but he actually just wanted Uriah dead because he didn't want Uriah to know that his wife was pregnant by the king, David. Now, this is what's fascinating to me and it's fascinatingly difficult. God calls David, the man after his own heart, when he rejected Saul as king, when David was younger. Do you remember the two sins listed in Samuel, 1 Samuel 12, 1 Samuel 15, that Saul committed, that made Samuel say to Saul, the Lord has rejected you as king? One was that he, Samuel was late coming to get God's blessing on Saul and his troops before they went to war. So Saul, because Samuel was late, said, I am the king anointed by the Lord. I have prophesied before. I'll sacrifice the animals. We got to get God's blessing and get going because the enemies are mounting troops. So out of fear and perhaps feigning true worship, he led the sacrifices. And when Samuel showed up, he said, you have done a terrible sin against God by not waiting for me and waiting on the Lord. The next sin was that God had told Saul in a different battle later, chapter 15, when you go in and take care of the Amalekites, I'm going to, I'm, I'm telling you, this is the time in history where you get them back for what they did to Moses centuries earlier and the people of Israel, and you annihilate every, of them, every one of them, men, women, children, horrendous acts of war that God told them to do, kill all the animals, don't let any living thing of all the Amalekites exist. And at the end of that battle, Saul said, save the best for sacrifices to the Lord. So they saved the best calves and saved the king. And when Samuel came, he said, Saul, what is this bleeding of the sheep I hear? And he goes, I saved the best for sacrifices to the Lord. We're not going to keep them. And he said, and why is the king Agag, why is he still alive? Why is he still here? We, God told you to put him to death. And he said, I, I, I took him as captive and Samuel said, you are rejected as king. So here's what I have a trouble with. That's all worse 
than committing adultery and having her husband killed? Really? See, the way we measure sin is not the way God runs the universe. And I, 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 I have two thoughts in my head that give me comfort and peace, but they're really not resolving the logical question that any skeptic, even a Christian skeptic, would ask. Because it certainly looks like on the surface that Saul is not near as bad as David became. And God never said to David after that, I'd reject you as king. And our own Lord Jesus is named the son of David. His, his reign, David's kingdom, went on through the Christ. Two things. One, God is sovereign. And his ways are past finding out. He's just, and he's gracious, and he's sovereign, and you cannot question him. He has his plans beyond all reason of human minds could conceive. Secondly, David shows incredible spiritual insight for such a rascal. When you read Psalm 51 and Psalm 32, which very likely, it's of David, but it doesn't say after he sinned with Bathsheba, very likely the same time period, but... Psalm 51 is extremely insightful. And in Ash Wednesday, when we are trying to get ready to follow the passion of the Lord, we are good to go sit by David in the jail cell of being a dastardly man forgiven by the Lord and listen to him. Later in the psalm, he says, if, you'll do, if you will help me, Lord, Undeservingly as I am, I will teach sinners your ways. Now we're starting to see ways that he is a man after God's own heart, even though in his sinfulness he did such heinous acts. And what we're going to do is we're just going to look at the first six verses of, of Psalm 51. I hope you get so interested in reclaiming it for yourself that you go home and read the whole psalm. Uh, but, but one through six, and we're going to see what is that spiritual insight that's really good for you and me on Ash Wednesday to draw near to God and David and say, you're a man after God's own heart and your repentance after God brought you to repentance. What are you saying to us? Because he said, I'm writing the psalm to teach sinners your ways. So God's teaching you his ways. Kind of an answer to my question, what God? A man after your own heart got away with this? So remember how Nathan came to David? Nathan's a prophet. David's a king. And David's a king in very bad shape. And kings in very bad shape usually kill a few people before they get stopped. Nathan gets told by God, he has sinned against me by t having adultery with Bathsheba and having her husband Uriah killed. Guess what? You get to go tell him that that's a sin against the Lord. That's scary. Nathan creates a story inspired by God to get behind David's wall that David has built because David has been trying to fake God out. He's been trying to act like a righteous, pious believer, righteous, pious king. He tried to fake Uriah out to get him to come home and get drunk and have relations with his wife so that he could cover up his own. And Uriah wouldn't do it, so then he has him put to death. But he had to fake that he put him to death because he didn't want to get caught with that, so he made it look like an act of war. And then David's trying to hide it all of this time. And, and fake himself out that it's really not that bad. And Nathan's got to get past that wall and say, you can't fake God out. So he tells him a story. There was a rich man who had all kinds of sheep. 
And, and David was a shepherd, and he loved animals. So David's into it. He has no idea he's about to get confronted. And he had all kinds of sheep. He had a traveler come by, and, he, and hospitality, Eastern hospitality, we're going to kill the fatted sheep, and we're going to have a, a meal for the traveler. But instead of taking one of his own mini sheep, he gets a neighbor's sheep who has a little family with one pet ewe lamb, and he takes that lamb and sacrifices or kills it for the supper, butchers it, and gives it to the rich. David was a incensed. He's the king. This happened in his land, that a, a rich man did this to a poor man, how unfair that was. He could see the root, sin. David is a man after the Lord's own heart. He could see the root sin in others, even when he had hidden it from himself. And what's the root sin? Selfishness. I'm going to make sure I have what I want to have for me. And I'm going to take it from another person because I don't want to be without one sheep. Selfishness. There's other pictures there too, like the faking out the traveler and all that. Because the traveler would think he brought him one of his own sheep and he brought him the neighbor's sheep, which was what David was doing, right? So... David said, this man deserves to die. And that's when Nathan said the famous words, what were they? You are the man. And here's what you would think. Maybe right after that, God would say, you committed adultery with Bathsheba and you had Uriah killed. But God went to something deeper. He said, David, I took you from the, as a shepherd boy from all the sheep. And I gave you the whole kingdom of Israel and I gave you many wives into your arms. And then you took another man's one wife as your own when you had all these other wives. And this is what God says. It'll blow your mind. I'm not going to talk about it in the sermon because it's too hard. We'll have our young pastor tell you someday. I'm teasing. God says, I would have given you more wives if you'd have asked. <laughs> Go find out the logic in that. David, you have been selfish with me. You took life into your own hands. You stared at the grace that I gave you as king. I gave you more than everybody in all of Israel. I treated you special in my grace, and you took another man's only wife, and then you took his life because you are selfish. And you know what David said? I have sinned against the Lord. A man after the Lord's own heart. He's not confessing actions. He's confessing an attitude that led to actions. He's confessing his original sin. And why do I say that so boldly? That's, well, that quote was from 1 Samuel 11, or 2 Samuel. What I'm, what, the reason I'm saying it so boldly is because that's what David says here in Psalm 51. And now you're ready to listen to it. He says some remarkable things for a man who committed adultery and had another man murdered. Have mercy on me, O God. A picture you sitting next to a criminal in his jail cell who's honestly one with God again. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion. Blot out my transgressions, wash away all my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions, and my sin is always before me. Against you and you only have I sinned. Wait a minute. 
Didn't you sin against Bathsheba? Didn't you sin against Uriah? Didn't you sin against all of Israel who's watching you as a model? What about your servant who said to you when you asked for your Bathsheba to be brought to the, king, to the king's palace, isn't she Uriah's wife? Didn't you sin against that servant? I have sinned against you and you only and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Truly, I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Yet you desired faithfulness. Can you see that phrase? Can you see it? What does it say? Even in the womb, you desired faithfulness. Even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in the secret place. Cleanse me with hyssop, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. I can remember when our dear brother and, and now sainted uh, Harold Johnny taught this to us. He said, this is David confessing the sin of not, uh, not of an action, but of who he is. From the time you were teaching me in my mother's womb, you were telling me that you desire faithfulness from a believing heart. You were teaching me to follow you as my gracious God. And I have been close to you, not perfect, but close to you my whole life. And I sinned against that knowledge. I sinned against the knowledge that you are my creator and my, my loving God and the one who made, made life special for me through your grace. And now I'm going to make maybe what I think, I don't know what you think, but what I think is probably the most important phrase to remember from a sermon about Psalm 51 tonight. David was not great, so therefore God chose him as a man after his own heart, because he was so good at being after God's own heart. David was chosen by God in grace to be drawn near to God above other people. And therefore, he became great because he was chosen. I'll say it one more time. David was not chosen because he was great by being a man after God's own heart. David was chosen by God to know his grace. So he became great in that grace, being a man after God's own heart. And he realized in a one-on-one -on -one relationship with God that that was the root sin that was the cause of all his waywardness. I don't know if you noticed it, but in our opening confession, and it's okay, but we didn't get down to that level. We confessed the sins we committed and the things that we shouldn't have done that, that we should have done that we didn't. But we didn't confess of what we are. Not, nothing wrong with that. We need to confess it all and we get need absolution. You longtime Lutherans, do you remember the old confession? Sometimes people even cringe, don't want to say it. I, a poor, what? Come on, say it. Miserable sinner, confess unto thee all my sins and iniquities with which I have ever offended thee, and justly deserve thy eternal punishment. Right? David 
is confessing. When he says, I'll teach sinner, sinners your ways, he's confessing that as bad as he looks and as embarrassing as it is that the heading of his song is his sin with Bathsheba and against Uriah, that the big sin is the sin of us all. Taking life into our own hands and taking any grace that God's ever given us and saying, I'll be in charge of my own life. I'll say what I want. I'll do what I want in this instance. And I will not be questioned by anybody. This is my life. This is my body. This is my car. This is my house. This is my church. This is my family. This is my girlfriend. This is my whatever. I, 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 uh, the sin of selfishness, of taking your life away from God who gave it and saying it's yours. No wonder God says in the New Testament to the Corinthians, you were bought at a price. You are not your own, right? And you know what? God loves it if you understand what I'm saying and what David is saying because then you're a person after God's own heart. You have listened to the man after God's own heart say, if you will forgive me, Lord, and let me live, I will use my remaining time to teach sinners what it means to be a sinner so they can be redeemed. So I'm just saying to you, and I'm, it's the first half, but it's the longest half of tonight's meditation, so we're going to taper it down. But I'm saying the, the, the big point here is you cannot fake out God, so stop trying. You're not all that great because you struggle like everybody else with the guilt that comes from your original sin that makes you take matters into your own hands up and down every day. But if that's all we have, we are great Jews, but we're not great Jesus people. And David, it wasn't all he had because he was an understanding Old Testament believer in the grace of God. So he says things like this in the opening verse of this psalm. He says, out of your unfailing love and your great compassion, wash away my iniquity. And then he says in verse 7, cleanse me with hyssop. What is a hyssop? It's a branch that they used in Jewish worship to dip it in the blood of the sacrifice and sprinkle it on the worshipers as a cleansing from above that had nothing that originated in the worshiper, but it came from God as a cleansing sacrifice and forgiving of the iniquity because of the sacrifice of the animal. And so David understands this. He's saying, and this is a really important point. He's saying, I know that it's not I've made a mess out of thing by my actions here, but I know that I am so bent as a sinner to this problem that I have of taking my life in my own hands that I need you to, from the outside of me to cleanse me. I know the worship of that temple. He's the one that protected it and kept it safe for the next generation. I want to be cleansed by that blood. I want your sacrifices to cover me. I want your unfailing love. And David understands that it's leading towards some great sacrifice of the Son of God without being a New Testament saint. I know that forgiveness comes from the outside and I know where to pray for it. And as you move through the psalm after this, 
David is talking about creating in me a new heart of one that appreciates the grace of God. So true repentance at Ash Wednesday is confessing the sin nature that's in you that is equally as bad as the worst sinner you have heard of on planet Earth. You have a sin nature. And it makes you need a Savior. And it makes you glad you have one. And then the second half is that you understand that God is so wonderful and so gracious that he gives you his son. And if you get that, instead of saying, I, no, 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 I have to kill myself because of my sin, or I have to hate myself because of my sin, or I have to fix myself because of my sin, you're not going to try to fake God out. You're going to say, I get you. Do you remember if you watched the Super Bowl, there were a couple times there were those commercials about Jesus, and they, what was the big point? He gets us. I'm going to flip that tonight on Ash Wednesday. God wants you to get him. God did not just send Nathan after David so David would just knuckle under. God loved that rascal, and he loves you too. And he sent Nathan to go get David to pull him back close and save his ever-living soul, and he did. And David knew it. And David lived out a life of hope and peace and joy. And he talks about joy even in the verses at the very end here and the rest of the song. I got a closing illustration. Well, I think it was our third son. I don't remember which one it was now because I get older. But it was in our kitchen at our first house in Austin. He was about three. He had a little figurine about that tall. And he was playing with it in the kitchen. And it slid under the refrigerator. Our, every refrigerator has like that plastic cover at the bottom, you know, that can pop off. So I walk into the kitchen, and he's got a broom out of the broom closet, and he wants to get his figurine back, and he's trying to get at it under the refrigerator. I was going somewhere, and I wanted to finish there. I was going to come back and help him. So I said, hey, don't do that. You might break that cover off or do, you know, because I have broken the bottom of a freezer cover off being rough with it myself. I said, don't do that. Dad will be back in just a minute, and I will help you. And I'll get it. And, he, and, and so he stopped. He dropped the broom. I left the room. Did what I had to do. I came back. And the plastic thing has popped off. The broom is on the floor. And there's no child. <laughs> so I went. I looked at it. You know. And it hadn't broken. You know. The little hooks that hook it on. They just popped out. So got the little toy out. Put it back on. Put the broom away. And then went looking for son. Found him in his bed. Crying. He thought he had broken the fridge, just like his dad had told him not to. And he felt guilt for taking life into his own hands and making a mess out of it. And I came in, and you know, it's hard not to laugh when you're a parent at those moments. And the East crying, I said, hey, you, you did what I asked you not to do, right? Yeah, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And I picked him up. And you know how when little kids are up, really upset and they don't think that they want you to have control of their life? Were they just like this big spaghetti? Arms and legs everywhere. No, 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 Dad, no, no, Dad. And I said, come with me. So he's wiggling the whole way. We get to the kitchen, force his head down. I said, look, I fixed it. Oh. That's the cross. Look. Do you get me? 
You, you know you confess that you're a sinner, not just that you sin. Do you get me? I even fixed that. You are forgiven of what you are. And now I've made you what I want you to be, which is a saint. You were only a sinner, but now you are a sinner who's got the status of a saint. You are forgiven. I fixed it. And God wants our response to be one of relief and joy and peace as a child, like a little three-year-old. And we stop focusing on the actions or the inactions or even the nature. We focus on the gift again. You know what happens when we do that? Stuff just doesn't matter so much anymore. Not the stuff they do, not the stuff we do, not the stuff anybody does. The joy and the freedom to live and rekindle and renew friendships and family relationships is all there because we live in the gospel. And God says, like that commercial reversed, they get me. Amen.